Welcome to Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, Executive Education for the Real World. I'm Kate Joyner. When I meet people around town and talk about QUT, our frequent response is, oh, I love the Cube, I took my kids there, or maybe I took my leadership team there. It's a great feature of the Gardens Point campus and a visible commitment to engaging students and the community in STEM education. To give us a bit of a behind the scenes on the Cube, we have Sean Jurett, and Sean is the studio manager of the Cube. So, Sean, you've got a great job. Do people tell you that all the time that you've got a great job? Uh, yes, I do actually. Uh, thanks for having me. It's it's good to come and talk about the Cube. Uh, yes, I do hear quite frequently that people uh, think we have a great job. I, th I think because they see the content on the Cube and they think for the most part we're, we're just locked away playing games. Playing games? And That's the, not certainly what we think. Just, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, <laughs> we, we think you've got the funnest job in the we university. We do get, get that a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, we do do a healthy amount of what we call research um, to see what the growing trends are in game development and um, the products that are out there to see if they can inspire the content that we put on the Cube. Uh, but then we actually have to physically build it as well. So we build all of the large-scale content in-house in our team. So this is where we pause and realise that we are audio and there's probably some people out there and our listeners who, do, who are saying, what is this Cube thing that they're talking about? So if someone went to, over to the Cube now, um, Sean, what would they experience? Yeah, so the Cube is, um, it is still the largest digital interactive learning display on the planet. Um, it's made up of five different zones that we call screens. There are four single-storey screens and one large two-storey screens. And what a screen is, is it's a, an array or a row of um, touch panels along the bottom that pick up your touch when you touch the glass on the screen. And then we build that in an interactive um, experience. So as you touch items on the screen, you'll play it through the screen like a large iPad. And then we can blend um, that with the projection space that's above it so that we can show very large-scale uh, interactives. So as you come into the cube space, you're met with a single storey zone, but as you proceed through to the main screen, screen one, it's two storeys tall and 30 metres long, um, built in sort of like a wedge shape. So we can show uh, dinosaurs at full scale. Uh, we have a reef interactive on there so you can see um, everything at real life, but we can also show a lot of information at a glance. Um, so we build our content um, with the idea of different types of experiences, so what the off-the-wall experience will be when you first come in and see something, and then we hopefully inspire you to go up to the screen and then touch it, and then we give you an interactive experience. Yes, and um, for those who haven't been, it is amazing. It's an amazing thing. And um, also, I mean, it's, a, it's a wonderful interactive um, wow experience, um, but it's also contained within the very lovely architectural building, which is, oh, what, what building is it's that? the it's Science a, and Engineering Science Center. and Engineering. So this yeah. is um, obviously, a, um, I mean, I see it as a, an outreach activity for science, technology, um, engineering and maths. So it's, it's QUT's um, attempt to engage the broader community in, in the challenge and the wonder that is STEM. Have I got that right? That's exactly right. It, it has a few feathers in its cap. Uh, having something on campus that people can come and interact with for free to even inspire um, tourists to come on. Uh, you wouldn't traditionally go to a university campus to go and see something as a, as a tourist, but we get a lot of tour groups through that, that see it. So we have that forward-facing aspect of what the installation is for the university and promoting what we do here at QUT um, in, in a real big wow way. Um, but you did touch on the STEM there, so that's really what we're about. So we're, the, 
The Cube was a response to a paper that came out about six or seven years ago about the decline in the uptake of um, STEM disciplines through into higher education. So this was built as an opportunity to build um, high-end engaging content to inspire the high school students to then follow through in those STEM disciplines. So every large-scale project that we do on the Cube is aligned to the national curriculum and we work hand-in-hand -hand with the STEM engagement team here at the university to make sure that the content going on there is accurate, um, scientifically accurate, and um, meets the needs for on-site coursework. So the cube level, you come in on the ground level, but in the Science and Engineering Centre, that's actually level four. On level five, there's a dedicated classroom for the high schools to come in and learn, and they'll do associated workshops in the classroom as well as on the wall of the cube. Mm, so how, how um, successful do you think we've been in that mission, I suppose, which is to engage uh, school children and the broader community in, in STEM and invite them to um, pathways into science? I think uh, anecdotally we've been very successful. Uh, our biggest indication of how uh, well that's going are the high schools that keep coming back to do those workshops. So we've been running uh, some of the older projects that have been on there for a couple of years now and um, as a result of the workshops associated with those older projects, we notice a lot of the schools are coming back and bringing their 10s, 11s and 12s back repeatedly. Um, also the demand is so high for those workshops. So for all the workshops that are offered through the CUBE experience, they're now booked up right through until the end of calendar year 2018. Wow. And the demand is very, very high for all of them. So we, we average two to three schools in every week um, for different workshops associated with the different projects. But then on the other side of that, the public and community engagement side, uh, we see it all day, every day. Uh, we're still averaging a couple of tours, uh, professional tours through the space each week. And then a couple of hundred, hundreds of people through every week, just walk-ins and, and visitors to the space. And we can, we can see from observing how much of an experience and how, how much fun they're having as well. So yeah, it's great. So what's the key to making it so engaging? Um, what, what's, what are our strategies around that or what skills do you have to bring to that? There's a few design decisions that we're very conscious of and that is to allow people to have a safe experience. So when they, when they do make the approach to the screens to touch it, they get immediate rich feedback and you can't do anything wrong. So in a traditional game development sense, you would always have what we call fail conditions. So if you didn't achieve, you would fail and then have to go and start again. We don't design that way for the cube. We want everyone to have a very rich and open experience. And if we do want to inspire you to keep trying things again, you do it in a safe way. And we keep that, what we call that loop, really tight um, so that you can spend, even if you only have a couple of minutes on the cube, you'll have an immediate rich experience. Um, but then we build depth into our experiences as well, like our CodaBot project that came out for Robotronica this year. You can spend a good couple of hours trying to program those robots if you get, if you get really deep into it. Mm. Yeah, well, there's obviously you know, more to it than, than we see. We see the, the wonderful final product. But who, who are your colleagues in, in the Cube and what, for what skill set do we need to make that happen? So the Cube Studio is broken into two um, parts. We all work out of the one uh, office. But we have the day-to-day -day maintenance, maintenance and operations of the space because it's, um, it's our job as well to keep the cube open. So we're actually open seven days a week, 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. and it's open free to the public. So we need to make sure that the lights are always on, we're ready to go to welcome people in. Um, so we look after the hardware and the software behind the systems. So we have an AV technician who also manages the corporate events that we have in the space and we have a systems administrator that looks after the back-end software. That's one side of the team. And then we have the development arm of the team. So we have 
um, two uh, software engineers or programmers. We have one content designer and one digital artist, and then myself over the top as like the um, production manager that oversees that. So in the big scheme of things, it's quite a modestly sized uh, production team for the content that we do. Um, so we're able to employ a lot of veterans from the industry um, so we can, we can get things done quite quickly and, and get them up there. It's funny to think of veterans of the industry because you think it's not really an industry that's <laughs> been around long enough to have veterans, or am I wrong? Uh, well, depending on when you got into games, you could have at least 20 to 25 years under your belt. Ah, interesting. The average that we have in the studio is about 10 years worth of development experience. Yeah. Now, Sean, you were uh, a game developer yourself. Uh, you were telling me so that your history before the Cube was in Halfbrick, which uh, Sean was telling me they are, their claim to fame, among other things, was the Fruit Ninja. So it was a, it was a pretty straightforward game. Uh, fruit would come up on the screen and you would slice it with your finger. So your finger was the blade. And um, yeah, one of the highest downloaded apps of all time now. So over one and a half billion downloads. Yeah, uh, and developed right here in successful. Brisbane. That's right, homegrown uh, talent here in Brisbane. Was and that I the one that David Cameron was caught playing um, I think in Parliament he was yes. he was caught playing Fruit Ninja. Is that's that? right. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> so we were pretty happy good. when we saw things like that yeah. of, of it being um, being picked up like that. Uh, we even had a nice story where Antonio Banderas was doing the uh, Puss in Boots uh, movie uh, through Shrek, and he thought that it would be a really good idea, good idea to put the cat in with the fruit. So we ended up making a movie tie-in version of that game as well. So that was pretty neat working with DreamWorks. That was a really fun period uh, through my career. What period um, was that? Uh, that was um, just over four years ago. I'd been there for four years, uh, for five years, sorry, before I came to QUT. And we saw a big shift from doing our own uh, work for hire projects and um, contract work through to building our own IP. Um, so I mentioned to you earlier that um, a, lot of, a lot of the larger studios in Brisbane uh, were aligned to uh, businesses in the US. And when the GFC hit, uh, a lot of them unfortunately fell on hardships and a lot of the largest studios in Brisbane as a result closed. Yes, because I remember we had a little bit of a golden period uh, That's right, with we really had in a, Brisbane. A it, it was looked something that we thought uh, was going to be a real uh, um, high point for Brisbane or you know something that we all looked to, but then uh, the GFC took it with a lot of other businesses, small businesses. Yeah. Yes, um, but we were very fortunate through that period that we had enough time to make a, a shift. So we shifted onto the mobile devices and then came up with um, new IP like Fruit Ninja and um, that, that kept us humming along. So the Brisbane scene has shifted to more of your sort of indie studios, so five to ten person um, studios, uh, but Halfrick's still humming along and, and doing their thing as well. And um, obviously we were able to benefit from all those game development skills that you developed, Sean. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So I was, I was lucky enough that the cube existed when I came to QUT. Yes, because there's um, only so many cubes in the world. That's <laughs> right. In fact, we're the number one. Yeah, yeah. it had already yeah. been built and it had its original batch of content on there. Um, but then it was time to have a think about what the, what the ongoing um, capabilities would be for the cube. So that's why we reframed it into more of a development type studio so that we could um, continually roll out and expand our portfolio of content um, so that we weren't just relying on one or two projects and getting stale. So we're always looking towards what's next and what could be different on the cube, but also trying to target areas in STEM that haven't really been addressed at the space yet. Ah, so what so are we thinking about for the next 12 months with that in mind? Where? Uh, yes, well, we're doing... Without giving a, out too many secrets, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, we haven't really targeted biology 
as such yet. So one of our next large-scale interactives will have a biology stream through that um, so that we can target that back into the schools and also some mathematics. I think they, they did have some, uh, when I visited, it had some trigonometry or something that you Yeah, so one of our projects, the Retro Arcade, we show the back-end maths for some of those programs, uh, but we haven't really fully exploited that side of mathematics yet, so I'm going to go a bit deeper in there. Mm. Amazing. So how do you, uh, so when you're thinking about your annual program um, for the Cube, um, so how many different um, sort of displays would you have in a year? Um, uh, so we, we How keep, does she change it up? Yeah, yeah. We, we try and uh, release one large-scale interactive per year, uh, but we've been pretty lucky that we've been able to do a couple each year over the last four years. We also have an artist-in-residency stream which builds our portfolio of content by supporting artists to build for the space as well. Oh, I see. So there's, there's a, a, um, a distinct line of work that's a digital artist as opposed to being... Oh, another, like That's a right, landscape yeah. photo. So, or um, so a, a digital artist um, thinks of uh, technology and interactive in an, in an artistic form. Ah, yeah. But the digital artist that I refer to that we have in our team is the person that create, creates the visual assets. So for the dinosaur project, creates oh, the I dinosaur, see. makes creates that the move. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So all the visual aspects of that. Um, so for the artist in residency, they don't have to stick to the STEM um, initiatives that, that we do in our large scale content. Um, so they can be a bit more artistic free with their ideas and, and come out with those. Can't we just come um, up with something that's aesthetically wonderful? Aesthetically that, pleasing, that's, yeah, their, um, yeah. that's their Which remit. we try to do as well to keep people in the space, but we still have to have that education slant to it. So when we're coming up with our uh, next batch of ideas, there's a few um, aspects to that. We need to make sure that it's uh, engaging to anyone coming into the space, but then uh, specifically hitting those STEM um, initiatives. So we pitch our ideas into a pool of ideas. Um, we've in the past had expression of interest calls as well. And then all of those ideas go up to the Vice-Chancellor and are approved at the Vice-Chancellor level. So Peter does Coldrack... He know, does he, he, so he makes the final decision? He makes the final decision. So wow, all the large-scale interactives um, have gone across his desk and he's chosen them. And then he's also part of our stakeholder group as we roll out the content. How cool is he? He's yeah. very cool. And <laughs> this is obviously part of his legacy to the university as well. Of course. Having the science and engineering centre and the, and the pool and the precinct over there at that end of the campus, it's great to catch people coming in over the Goodwill Bridge side or over the Brisbane River. It's, it's great. It is great, yeah. So you've got a, a program coming up for the school holidays. There's probably many parents who will be excited to hear that. <laughs> we do, Yeah, yes. so what's on offer for the school holidays? So we offer a summer holiday program. It's, it's free uh, entry. Please just come on in. It's from the 6th to the 14th of January. We're having a, a big launch day on the 6th with a few extra things, but you can come in and you can experience the CodeBot project. You can learn a bit more about the project itself and a bit more of a deep so dive into coding. What's the, what's the... So CodeBot code, allows code you yeah, to, right. to fit out and code your own robot live on the wall. Um, so we've built our own in-house coding language that's based off a program called Scratch that um, the students learn in school, in primary and secondary. So you can come in and you can attach like a plastic sensor. You can tell the robot to go and search for plastic, pick it up and drop it in the right bin. So all the robots are working in a communal uh, recycling plant. So we're covering a few things there. We, we're showcasing QT's robotics initiatives. Uh, we're giving a safe environment for people to be able to upskill on coding and sort of break down the stigma around coding and what it is. So it's a logic-based problem-solving system that we built. 
and then showing the uh, the human endeavor of recycling would give you some information around that as well. So it ticks a lot of boxes in that project. So you can code your own robot and see it operate operating in the cube. In the cube. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And you also mentioned there's a tie-in with the museum. That's right. So the art museum has some experiences for that holiday program as well. Um, there's also more complimentary experiences. There's a, a tank VR project, so you can put on a VR uh, headset and in a virtual world drive a, a real remote controlled tank around, and that's really neat as well. So there's a lot of little different activities that happen if you can't actually get on the cube walls straight away. There's probably about 10 to 15 experiences for that holiday program. And it's air conditioned, yeah, it's air free. Conditioned. And can grown-ups um, come too? Absolutely, everyone's welcome. <laughs> yep, we'll take and, and all the academics, we'll, we'll be so there. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. So now, Sean, this is a question I ask um, every guest um, to sort of tap into their, their mind, I suppose. So what are you reading currently? Are you a reader? Uh, not so much. Um, it's mainly for us and what we do, it's keeping a finger on the pulse of what's out there as in the games world. Um, so a lot of the things that I do actually read are uh, websites like Gama Sutra, uh, Kotaku and Destructoid to see what's uh, really popular out there but also what's not going well and a lot of cautionary tales from developers on those websites as well. So it's not always sunshine and rainbows but it's good to hear what's out there as potential gotchas as well. Ah, um, yeah. So a lot of learning experiences from other developers and a lot of knowledge sharing on those sites yeah. as well. So you like to see what's out there in, in gaming generally, yeah. That's and, right, uh, and see, and see where in? we should spend our research time. Ah, your research time. Yes. And what, what, <laughs> so what, what personally excites you about this space at the moment? I really like the enjoyment that, that students get out of the experience. And it's, it's a consistent thing that we get feedback on, but we always feel it every day as well about how cool this would have been when we were going through high school to have a learning tool like the Cube and how it would have potentially influenced our careers going forward and what we would have studied. Um, so it's always, it's always great to see the reaction from people coming in. Also th during things like the holiday program, seeing multi-generational families like grandparents, mum and dad and the kids all coming in together and having a group family experience in the space as well. Because in addition to the Codabot project, we have one based around uh, chemistry. We have a dinosaur project as well, so you can see life-size dinosaurs roaming around. And seeing them all have a, an interactive experience, whereas at your, at your home, your, your Xbox and your PlayStation, you wouldn't necessarily get grandma or granddad to sit down and have that experience with you. It's more of a solitary thing, whereas we hit mass market with the size of the cube and what, what you can do with it. We can all do it together. Yeah. That is so fantastic. Well, I've learnt so much in just the short amount of time that we've had together. And, and the Cube's honestly a couple of hundred metres from where I am, and I've probably visited it only a few times. So I'm certainly going to get over there a little bit more. Yeah. And hopefully I'll see you there. I'm always there, always doing a tour or showing another group around. Yep, come yep. and find me. Yeah, we will certainly do that. Well, Sean, thank you very much for being our lucky 13th guest. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Exec Insights. For more information about QUT's executive education programs, please search QUT Executive Education and you'll find a full range of our programs and services.